Happy Easter, everyone. This is a quite a sight for me to be able to see so many faces here. It's exciting. This is how we stimulate one another to love and good deeds, our presence. We get to see each other. We get to hear each other sing. We get to hear the word of God preached together. Thank you. Thank you. Most of all, thank you to Lord Jesus. This is why we call it the Lord's Day. Easter was the very first Lord's Day because this is the Sunday, the first day out of the, of the week that Christ resurrected from the grave. This is when everything changed, where God's people worshiped on Saturday and then to the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, Easter. And guess, whether you're here in person or online, we're so happy that you're here. You're welcome to be here and so glad. And I'm just so grateful that we're here to worship the Lord together. Now, this is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all right? And this is one of the challenges of what should I preach on? You know, like there's a, as, as we go through Corinthians, which we've been going through, it's easy. You just simply go to the next verse and chapter, chapter and verse. But on Easter, you, can't, you, you like to have an Easter message. But even my own kids could tell me, make sure you preach about the resurrection, okay, Papa? So you got it, right? Resurrection. This is what this is about. This is why our whole faith is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the, is the biggest event in human history. This towers over every other event in the history of this planet, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection of Christ means that for Christians, that we have eternal hope. This is what this means. This is where, thank you, Pastor Terry and worship team. This is as we just sang right now, Christ, our hope in life and death. Meaning no matter what's happening in life, no matter how hard it is, no matter how encouraging it is, our hope is tied directly to Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. And so today, we're going to get very personal today. We're going to get very, very personal today. And today we're going to answer one personal question. This is the one question. It's the title of the sermon. Do I have Easter hope? Do I have Easter hope? And I want everyone here to come with a new mind on this. Whether you've been part of the church for decades whether you grew up in a Christian home or you're coming not knowing that you're not a Christian, I really want you to really go through with me along with the Word of God to see if, in fact, we are in Christ, if we have this Easter hope. So today, this is what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to go to the Mount Everest of the Bible. We're going to one of the high, high points of Scripture. All the Bible is phenomenal. But there are some obviously uh, obvious high points, some Mount Everest of the scriptures. We're going to be at Mark chapter 8 today. Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 38. And if you have your Bibles, I welcome you to turn uh, turn there and or your devices, Mark 8, 27 to 38. I'm going to give you a little bit of context. So before we read it, we have an idea of what we're reading here. Imagine with me, we're going back in time, 2,000 years. Imagine with me that we're going to be with the 12 disciples. It's been two years now since we've left everything. As the disciples left everything two years ago to follow Jesus Christ. They left everything. Their businesses, their homes, their family, their home village. Their fishing nets to follow a man named Jesus. And Jesus is on a training mission. So he takes all of us, the disciples, the 12 disciples to northern Israel. All right, 
to the foot of Mount Hermon, to the base of Mount Hermon, they call it in Israel, and to the region of Caesarea Philippi. This is away from Jewish culture. This is a heavy Roman culture. This is away from the hustle and bustle of Jewish life. It's green, it's lush, because water is coming down from Mount Hermon to really to feed into the Jordan River. So it's very green and very lush. It's a very retreat-like area. It's beautiful. I've been there. And Jesus is preparing the 12 disciples to take over. Because after this long journey up to the north, 100 miles north of Jerusalem, Jesus and the disciples will steadily make their descent back to Jerusalem or up to Jerusalem, where Jesus will eventually die on the cross and rise up again on the third day. But Jesus would be handing off the baton to the 12 disciples. So he's, he's covering two fundamental issues. This is two massive issues in order for the disciples to understand so they could carry out the work of ministry after Jesus goes back to heaven. Number one, he's going he's to explain clearly who he is. Who is Jesus? Second, he's going to cover how one is actually saved. All right, this is a very foundational message for all of us. So we're going to the high point of Mark today. So let's rise as we read the scriptures. I'll be reading Mark chapter 8, 27 to 38. God's word says this. Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? They told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, brothers, one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. Verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. And he summoned this crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? His soul. For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? His soul. Verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, comma, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your precious and holy word. By your spirit, I pray that you allow me to preach your word faithfully, powerfully, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that everyone will have a clear picture of who your son Jesus Christ is. And so, Father God, I pray if there's anyone in here who's not saved, that this message will pierce and prick their hearts to give their lives to you through the preaching of your word. May you be glorified today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Thank you, everybody. I'm going to give you the six, six points, and we're going to briefly go over these six points here. 
And because we can't be overly exhaustive over these points, but I'm going to give it to you ahead of time so you can follow along. To have hope, I need to trust in the relevance of Jesus. To have hope, I need to trust in point number two, the revelation of Jesus. To have hope, I need to trust in the resurrection of Jesus. To have hope, I need to trust in point number four, the reign of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. To have hope, I need to trust in the reasonableness of Jesus. He is worth it. And finally, to have hope, I need to trust in the return of Jesus. Jesus Christ is coming back. So let's get to our first point here. To have hope, I need to trust in, fill in the blank, the relevance of Jesus. Verse 27 says this, Who do people see that I am? Jesus is like a master teacher, like any good teacher would do. He asks questions to the people to reinforce the point. Who do people say that I am? And Jesus was famous. He was well known. He had a huge following. I mean, he was so famous that as he withdrew to, his, to the most northern part of Israel, away from Jewish life, there was still a crowd that was trying to chase after him. Man, you know you're famous when you have a big entourage even out of your home area. And Jesus was famous. Why? Because he did miracles. I mean, he fed the 5,000, fed the 4,000. He killed the crippled man. He gave hearing to the deaf. He gave sight to the blind. He even raised people from the grave. Why wouldn't he be famous? Someone like that existed today. They'd be world famous. As a matter of fact, his teachings were divine. You know, they, they were absolutely amazed at his teaching. He was teaching as someone with authority. So Jesus was relevant. There's that word again. Was absolutely relevant 2,000 years ago. But today, he's just as relevant. I mean, think about it. The a fact that a man named Jesus Christ, having walked the earth, is an undisputed fact. Even non-believers, atheists will agree that there was a man named Jesus Christ who walked the earth. I mean, he had the greatest impact and legacy over anyone who's ever walked the earth. Think about it. In his name. Universities have been established. In his name, schools have been established. In his name, relief organizations and hospitals have been established. Major worldwide holidays have been established. Christmas and Easter, the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. The entire calendar system hinges upon when Jesus walked earth, B.C., before Christ, and A.D., the time of our Lord. Major, the most major world religion has been established, Christianity. Therefore, we have to have an answer for who Jesus is. We, we can't dodge him. There's no fair dodging. You have to address this issue. We cannot avoid him. And what do the disciples come back and say in verse 28? Says, they told him, saying, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah, but others, one of the prophets. John the Baptist was a mighty man. Jesus, he was the greatest born of a woman. He was a prophet who spoke for God. Elijah was one of the Mount Rushmore figures from the Old Testament. He didn't even die. He went straight to heaven. A prophet of God who spoke for God. Or just one of the prophets. A holy man who spoke for God, who did miracles. A messenger from God. Today, 
we have similar opinions too. I've talked to many of my Muslim friends. They say, you know, we believe in Jesus. We honor him. We believe he's a prophet, just like the prophet Muhammad. I talked to my Mormon friends who I love dearly, and they say, you know what? Jesus is the created son of God. Not God himself, but the created son of God. Place of honor, okay? My Jehovah's Witness friend says, you know what? He's like the archangel Michael. He's a mighty angel. Even those of my friends who are into new age thinking, think, oh, you know, Jesus is a person who, who we want to aspire to be like. He reached a certain state of consciousness that we all like to reach. Even my atheist friends who would say this, he was a good teacher who taught good morals. Okay? So, undeniable, you have to address this issue. Who is Jesus? So first of all, do I trust that Jesus is the most relevant figure to ever walk this planet? Have you even addressed that issue? Perhaps this is why you're here today. Perhaps this is why when your friend invited you, you came because you know what? Easter once a year, I want to come. I want to see if I could hear a message talking about this Jesus. Perhaps you've been sitting in church for many years, many decades. And maybe you're thinking, well, I heard of Jesus and I think I believe in him, but I don't quite know who he is. Maybe he's one of those created gods or maybe a mighty angel, maybe a holy man, a prophet. The problem is that when we go off human opinion, there's a bunch of erroneous conclusions. We can't go off human opinion. We need to get this one right. The disciples needed to get this one right. Jesus is so much more than these honored answers, right? So therefore, we need to hear from God. So therefore, to have hope, let's get to our second point. I need to trust in the revelation of Jesus. We need to hear from God. Who is Jesus? Verse 29, Jesus gets very personal all of a sudden. He goes to the masses. Who do the people say that I am? To now, verse 29. And he continued by questioning them. But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am, disciples? This is test time for the 12 disciples. If we were there with him in Caesarea Philippi, hearing the streams of water come down as Jesus asked this question, what would come to mind for you? What would, what would you answer the Lord? Would you answer one of these other answers that I gave you? Or would you answer what Peter says? Peter, the, the leader of the twelve, nails it. He says, you are the Christ. He says, you are the Christ. I mean, this is the high point of Peter's ministry. Peter is on a high possessed by the Holy Spirit himself. And he says, you are the Christ. And what is the Christ? Christ is a title for Jesus. Christ, Christos, is the Greek translation for Messiah. You're the Messiah in Hebrew. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the divine Savior, Redeemer, Deliverer, Ruler of the world. You're the hope of the world, Peter says. He nailed it. Peter nailed it. Matthew 16, 16 says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter is basically saying, You are God himself. And Jesus in Matthew 16, 17, 16, 17 says this, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, meaning it wasn't because of your own mind that you figured this out, but my, by my Father who is in heaven. This is divine revelation you've been given. So in order to know who Jesus is, we have to rely on what 
God says, divine revelation, Jesus is the Christ, the divine ruler, divine savior of the world. So do you trust that Jesus is the divine savior of the world? Do you believe this? We're just going right down the checklist. Is he relevant? Do you believe the divine revelation declared about Jesus, that he is Christ, the Christ? Verse 30 has an interesting twist here. Verse 30, Jesus says this, and he warned them to tell no one about him. I thought as Pastor Michael is saying to evangelize, to tell people about Christ, why did Jesus say don't share that yet? Well, because he, has, he hasn't done his job yet. This brings us, to, brings us to our third point. To have hope, I need to trust in point number three. Fill in the blank. The resurrection of Jesus. Resurrection of Jesus. From Peter's high point, Peter's riding high, and all of a sudden, this is the last thing he expected Jesus to say. He was expecting something else. And Jesus says in verse 31, And he began to teach them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. What? Peter was thinking, all right, Jesus, when do we go back into Jerusalem? When do we take over? When do we get to do this thing together? That's the last thing Peter was expecting to hear. Now, it's interesting here. Jesus refers to himself as a Son of Man. Now, this is a very interesting title, Jesus uses this 80 times, 80 times in the Gospels to describe himself. This is his favorite title for himself, the Son of Man. The Son of Man. The Son of Man was a title designated to describe his divine messiahship. Another claim that Jesus, in no unclear terms, claims to be God. If you want to study more deeply about this, Daniel 7, 13 to 14. The Son of Man is described as one who was with the Ancient of Days, who was given dominion that will last forever. He will rule forever, and he will have a kingdom that will last forever. The God King himself. So Jesus, in no unclear terms, claimed to be God. But God says right here in verse 3 that he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed. This is a Sanhedrin. The ruling, religious ruling elite in, of the Jews. Jesus claimed to be God. They believed he was blasphemous. He was a threat to their way of life. And God used them. To take him to the cross. And right here, I just want us to point out one word. One word. The Son of Man must. The Son of Man must. That's important now. Jesus will go to the cross by God's design. This is God's game plan from the very beginning. This isn't some accident like, oops, how do these religious rulers kill my son? God the Father, as we heard from Good Friday service, Pastor Victor preached on, it was a plan from the very beginning. Acts 2. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. This is the same Peter who said, you're the Christ. This is his first sermon. And thousands are saved when Peter preaches this. Acts 2 verse 23. This man, talking about Jesus the Nazarene, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You hear that? God himself predestined Jesus Christ to go to the cross and by according to his foreknowledge you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men the Romans and put him to death 
He's talking to the Jews. Peter is. He's preaching. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Do you see that? Christ needed to die. He must, it said, he must suffer all things to die and to rise up again. This was God's plan to save mankind from the very beginning. You may be asking, well, wasn't there another way? Why, why did the Father have to send his own son to die for us? So if you're sitting here today new to Christianity, what, how does that make sense? Why does that have to happen? Well, there's this issue called sin. Sin is the issue. Sin divides us from God. Sin makes us enemies with God. Sin is this. Have you ever thought something impure before? Have you been dishonest before? Have you been angry with somebody before, right? I mean, we could all raise our hands with that. Have you spoken harshly to your spouse before? Have you, been, have you lost your temper with your children before? That's sin, okay? And all of us fall into that category. Pastors and regular people as well. We're all sinners, right? And the Bible says this, that the, that the God of the universe is a holy God. He's a just God. He's a righteous God. So in order for... God to forgive us, there needed to be an appropriate sacrifice or payment. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He made him, the Father made Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect. To be sin, he treated him like the greatest of sinners on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Meaning, Our sins were credited to Jesus so that Jesus' righteousness can be credited to us. In other words, we give Jesus our worst, okay? In simple terms, we give Jesus our worst and he gives us his best. Amen? This is the exchange. This is called the great exchange. And since God is a righteous God, he needed to have an appropriate sacrifice. He needed a man to die. That's why Jesus took on human form, because we're men. And he needed a divine being to pay the price for the sins of countless people. The God-man, Jesus Christ himself, was required. But Peter must not have heard this portion. Verse 31. And after three days, rise again. He must not have heard that one. Because this is the most, 1 Corinthians 15 says, this is as a first important, the most important piece of information in all the universe, that Christ resurrected from the grave. There are no bones. You're not going to find a tomb for him. You're not going to find his ashes in an urn someplace. Christ resurrected. If you could find bones, we would be in a hopeless situation. Because of his resurrection, we have hope. So let me ask you this question, just going down the checklist. Do you trust that Jesus Christ is a crucified and risen Savior? Do you believe that he's alive after being killed and murdered on the, on the cross? Do you believe this? Yes? Good. That's a good thing. Now I just want to take a little bit of a side note here, a little time out here. Something happens in this drama here. However, something unexpected happens. Something unexpected happens here. You know what that happens? Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. 
After Peter claiming to say, you're the Christ, you're the divine ruler of the universe, Peter reverses the roles and starts to rebuke Jesus. His word rebuke is a very serious word. Verse 32 says he rebukes him. This is a stern correction. This is a top-down authoritative posture. For somehow Peter saying, you're the Christ, and all of a sudden he reverses the roles. What would, why, what would possess Peter to do such a thing from saying something so true, so divine, so incredible to saying and doing something like this all of a sudden? Imagine with me again. Let's go back two years again. We're on the calm shore of the Sea of Galilee. We're all Peter now. We're coming off the fishing boat with a full net of fish. This is a good business. He's married. He has, he has to support a family. He has his nets. He has his gear. He has, he's got a fishing boat. He's got it made. Compared to everybody else, he's got it made. He's got a good life ahead of him. But there's one morning where Jesus Christ shows up and says, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible says they immediately, he immediately left his nets and followed him. Think of that day where you decided to give up everything to follow a man named Jesus. I mean, what were Peter's expectations? Do you think he was going to say, like, okay, I'm going to lay down my business to follow a, a dead carpenter someday? No, Peter's expectations was, I'm going to upgrade here. Jesus is going to rule. He's going to be president, and I might be vice president ruling next to him, right? This is a big deal. This is a big move that Peter had. He couldn't comprehend leaving everything to follow someone that would die. Because I'm going to be number two in church. I'm going to be right, the right-hand man to the ruler of the, uh, of the planet. Well, Jesus turns the table, of course, and verse 33, he goes, Get behind me, Satan. He's just, he goes, turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on God's interests but man's. We've got to come to Jesus on his terms. We have to come to Jesus on his terms. We can't think like the world. If we're thinking like the world, we're thinking like Satan. Satan is about building this world that's going to evaporate someday. Peter was thinking about that. How can I establish my kingdom here on this planet? This is what Peter was thinking. False expectations. Now go back into your own personal lives. Those of who, 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 said, who say we are Christians. Go back to that day when you committed to follow Christ. Go back. Could have been in college. Could have been in your mother and father's home. Could have been recent. Could have been at the job. I don't know. Go back to that day. Maybe your teammate led you to Christ. What were your expectations when you came to Christ? Just like Peter, did you have some kind of expectation? How Satan attacks is this. He corrupts the truth. There's so many false gospels out there. False gospels everywhere, particularly in the United States. There's all kinds of ideas of how to come to Christ, how to become a Christian. And quite frankly, this is one of my greatest concerns as a pastor. That we, everyone who considers Evergreen SUV their home, 
understands and embraces the true gospel, the good news. Were you told, just believe in Jesus and he'll make you happy? Were you told, just believe in Jesus and you will have peace? Were you told that if you just believe in Jesus, he'll bless your family life and your career? Did you, were you told, just believe in Jesus and he'll accept you how you are and you don't ever have to change. You just keep living as you are. You see, Jesus is not our political Messiah to save America. It's not why he came. Jesus is not our personal cheerleader to kind of give some psychological help during tough times. He's more than that. He does that, but he's more than that. Jesus is not only our personal financial advisor to take care of our financial needs. He does provide, but it's much more than that. Jesus is now here to give us our best life now. He's about eternity. He's about eternity. So we have to understand why we come to Christ. And this next point, Jesus tells us, to have hope, I need to trust in, point number four, the reign of Jesus, the rule, the reign of Jesus, the reign of Jesus. Verse 34, Jesus details out what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. He says this, and he summoned the crowd. This is a crowd that showed up now with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, to be with Christ, to be associated with Jesus Christ, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Just like Peter, we're not here to build our own kingdom. We're here to be part of Jesus' kingdom. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, the Lord says. Now this is the fruit of salvation. When we're reborn, this is what happens. The Spirit of God does a work where we, our desires are to live for Christ. Let me read you a quote by R.T. France, a, a gospel mark theologian. R.T. France writes, What Jesus calls for here is thus a radical abandonment, radical abandonment, he says, of his own identity and self-determination. In a call to march, in a call to join the march to the place of execution. Such denial is on a different level altogether from giving up chocolates for Lent. Right? This is R.T. France writes. It's not the denial of something to the self, but the denial of the self itself. You're denying yourself. I'm no longer living for myself and what I want. I am going to live for Christ now. He's my Lord, this is what Jesus is saying. Am I your Lord? Do I have reign in your life? Do you trust that I'm worthy to be your ruler and to be your Lord? Take up your cross. You know, Pastor Marco and I were talking, the cross has been somewhat of a fashion, fashion statement today, amen? If you had a necklace, maybe a tattoo, you know, kind of a fashion statement. The cross, 2,000 years ago, was a symbol of death. It's like the gas chamber in California. This is how criminals were killed. To, so for Jesus to say, pick up your cross, it says, you're carrying the symbol of death. Where Jesus is saying, you have to suffer. You might even have to die physically. Minimally, you're going to die to your own desires to follow me. Now hear this out now, brothers and sisters. Suffering is not a sign of abandonment from the Lord. If you're going through a hard time right now, particularly for your faith, suffering is a sign that you identify with Christ. 
right? Because that's what it means to follow him. Jesus calls us to be disciples of Jesus. Follow me, he says. Come follow me, our Lord says. So have you trusted in Jesus as your Lord? Fourth checklist. Amen, I have, Pastor. Great. Let's go on to the fifth point. To have hope, I need to trust in the reasonableness of Jesus. The reasonableness of Jesus. Let me read verse 35 for us here. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Meaning if you want to preserve your way of life, continue to build up your kingdom on this world, Jesus says, it's going to vanish someday. You're going to lose your life. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is an interesting way of thinking. You've got to lose to win. This is what the Lord is saying. You have to give up yourself. Very countercultural. Very counterintuitive, right? Haven't we all been taught to take care of ourselves? Let's make sure I take care of me, myself, and I, right? Jesus is saying something opposite. Saying, give up yourself and follow me. Losing. Losing. I don't like to lose. I don't think anyone likes to lose. I like to win. And um, I remember one year we did win. And uh, we won a lot one year. And uh, because of winning, you get to go to the White House and go visit the president. And, and, and it was 2014, after winning the Super Bowl, our team flew from Seattle to Washington, D.C. It was a great day. We were excited. We got to stay in a nice hotel. We're all dressed up like this, and all of us looking sharp. And we get to meet the president of the United States of America. This is great. And so before I started the day, just before I put on my nice clothes, I went jogging around uh, uh, down uh, Washington, D.C., seeing all the monuments and kind of just patrolling the area for, for a nice little stroll, jogging. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I come across a man. I think his name was Nathan. I'm not quite sure, but I think that's what his name is. He's a homeless man. He was just living on the street. I said, okay. He asked me, can I have something? I, said, I don't have, I don't have nothing with me. I just have my hotel card key. And so I just said, you know what? But what I do have is the good news. I started talking to him about Christ in the gospel. Do you want to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I said, yes. Really? I said, great. <laughs> Trust in him. Repent of your sins. Commit to following him. Find a good local church. Capitol Baptist Church is down the street. Go get plugged in with those guys. I jogged back. I got showered and went down to the team breakfast. And I got to have breakfast with perhaps one of the richest men in the world, too. Our owner, Paul Allen, who started Microsoft and other things. And it's a brilliant man, brilliant man. We're having breakfast. We're just talking. Time was limited. And so we're just talking. And then time was limited. So I gave him a DVD called Making of a Champion. This is, a, this is kind of a, a gospel track DVD that some of us uh, on the team made for the gospel presentation, giving testimony. And I said, please watch this. Our team made this. I think you'll love it. All right? The day goes on. I go upstairs, get changed, get put, put our suits on. We get on the bus. We show up to the, the White House. Guys with big guns are, are, are checking us, making sure as we come in, and then when they gather us in this big gathering room, they got these old paintings, Abraham Lincoln, bust of uh, George Washington. It's pretty cool inside. 
the windows are like that thick, you know, to make sure no bullets go through it. I mean, there are thick windows now, trust me. We're hitting them. It's like hitting a brick wall. But we show up, and all of a sudden, we get ushered into another room. He goes, the, when, the, when the president comes, everyone rise up. So I'm standing here off to the edge, you know, all the, all the other guys are there. We're kind of making a line. All of a sudden, President Obama shows up right there. I say, hey, I was praying for this. Like, how do we advance the gospel? I shake his hand. It was like seconds, right, per, per greeting. Hey, Mr. President, I'm praying for you. That's what I told him. And he goes, he kind of paused and looked at me and that's good. We all need prayer. I said, all right, that's right. But somehow I was able to get this DVD to him as well. And so as I think about this, as I was thinking about what the Bible says right here, in this very next verse, verse 36, it says this, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Verse 37, For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Would you exchange your soul to be one of the most powerful men in the world? Would you exchange your soul to be one of the wealthiest men in the world? Would you exchange your soul for a college education? Would you exchange your soul for the house that you want to live in in the, in the neighborhood? Would you exchange your soul for a group of friends? Would you exchange your soul for a good reputation? You gain everything. Sister Itsuko, who we love dearly, so if you're watching Itsuko, we love you. Happy Easter. We get to visit her from time to time. And she's 102 years old, right? 102 years old. We celebrate her birthday. 103 years old. Thank you. 103 years old. Our oldest member. 103 is a long time, amen? We love you, Itsuko. That's a long time. But 103 is like a vapor in the face of eternity. A vapor. Here today, gone. I'm so grateful. Itsuko is such a faithful sister. She has eternity to look forward to and all of us who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Remember, what is your soul worth? We will all live forever. Friends, brothers and sisters, we are all going to live forever. You may be surprised. What do you mean, Pastor? We will live in one of two locations forever. In heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or in hell, separated from him for eternity. Your soul is priceless. This is something you don't want to sell and make a deal with the devil with. So fifth checklist here. Have you trust in, G- in Jesus as your greatest treasure? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is worth it? Do you believe this? Well, let's finish up here with a sixth point here. And I'm hoping as you're just going through this checklist, yes, amen, pastor, yes, 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 yes. Not perfectly, but yes, right? And perhaps if you're here as a non-Christian, you're thinking, wow, this is what Christianity is all about. One, two, this is what, I, this is what it takes. Let's go to our final point here. To have hope, I need to trust in the return of Jesus Let me read the last verse here, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What does this mean, ashamed? This word ashamed, in essence, carries the meaning of you despise or reject. 
That means I choose to please the sinful and adulterous generation over Jesus. I choose. It's, life is about choices. I choose for this world. Jesus, you're on the back burner. I'm interested, but not really with you. I still am committed to this world. That's what that means when we despise or are ashamed of Jesus Christ. But this is the sobering reality. The Son of Man, there he is again saying this again. When God himself, Jesus Christ, comes back, he's coming back. He says, I will be ashamed of you too. If you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you too. In that day, we need to know that we are with Jesus Christ. That's all that's going to matter. And guess what? When he comes back, it'll be obvious. No, Jesus will not have to ask anymore, who do people say that I am? Because this time, he's coming back with unveiled glory. He's going to be very clear as he comes down. As he ascends, he's descending in the same way, in the clouds, with his angel armies. And he's coming to settle accounts with the world. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said. He's coming back. Brothers and sisters, you say amen, amen, amen to these six things. Live as if Christ is coming back at any moment. This sense of urgency that Jesus Christ, my Lord, how are you going to find me? Jesus Christ, my Lord, when you come back, what am I going to be thinking about? Jesus Christ, my Lord, what am I going to be watching? How am I going to be treating my wife? Jesus Christ, my Lord, am I going to be faithful to you? Sense of urgency. Do we trust that Jesus Christ is actually coming back? Or if we were to pass and die, that we will see Jesus Christ face to face someday. Is that a reality that you think about every day? Let's think about that every day. People come and go. Kings come and go. Wealthy people come and go. Poor people come and go. Christ is coming back. Have you said yes to these things? Have you said yes to these things? Let me just review real quick because I want to make sure. Have you said yes to these things? Do you know that you have Easter hope? Friend, as you're sitting here, you were invited by somebody. As you're watching online, you've been invited by someone to listen. And if you, even if you consider yourself a longtime Christian, this is good that we test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? That He is relevant, that He matters. Yes, Pastor, I have. Have you trusted? Jesus Christ in the revelation given about him. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. He is God who will be ruler of all things forever. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ that he's been resurrected from the grave? Do you actually believe this? That this is why we gather for Easter? This is why we worship on the Lord's day, the first day of the week. Do you actually believe and trust in Jesus Christ as your, as your ruler? Does he have reign over your life? Is he, is he Lord of all? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ in his reasonableness? He's worth it. I don't want the whole world. I want you, Jesus. You're the greatest treasure of all. And finally, 
Have you trusted in Jesus Christ to return, to come get you? He's coming back to take us home. We're not home yet, friends. We're not home yet, brothers and sisters. This is what I want to encourage you. Think deeply about this. And my hope is this, that if you're a genuine believer, you're like, yes, I feel even more sure of my faith. I feel more sure of being able to walk through this life. Jesus Christ, our hope in life and death. I could sing that song with fuller conviction. But perhaps you came thinking, I am a Christian, but you know what? He's not my Lord. I don't think about him in that way to obey him. I I think he's okay that I live certain ways. According to the Lord's word, you're not in the kingdom yet. Not my word, but our Lord himself. And perhaps you're new. Maybe church life isn't something that you're used to. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Okay, great home, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So when I heard the message of the gospel, I'm like, whoa, what is this? Detail that out for me. This has been detailed out to you today. This is the gospel. This is the good news. If you want to give your life to Christ and have this Easter hope that we've been talking about, Repent, turn away from living for yourself and cry out to Christ as your Lord and say, I'm going to follow you. I trust that you died and rose again for me. This is what, I, this is what the Lord is calling you to do. And when that happens, tell the person that invited you. Find one of the pastors. We, you know, most of us are wearing coat and tie. <laughs> Even someone who's not a pastor who's wearing a contact, ask them. They'll help you. If you want to talk to me, I'm, I'm sticking around all day. Come find me. This is the most important lesson of all. As the disciples descended back down with Jesus from Caesarea Philippi, they had a much clearer idea who Jesus is. But just understand, even at his death, they all scattered still. It's still a hard truth. But the Lord is with us. Amen? This is the Easter hope that we have. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for this time to to preach your word. Thank you for this incredible part of scripture that we have been given through Mark chapter 8. Thank you, how the Jesus, how you detail this out. You want to make sure that we understand what it means to come to you on your terms. Not our terms, but your terms. So, Father God, I pray for Christians here, brothers and sisters that know that they're in Christ, that they will be encouraged. They will be fired up to live and await your return. And we'll be even more faithful because we know you more. I pray for those who right now have been hearing this and all of a sudden, I don't fit these things. Father, I pray your spirit will waken them up, give them spiritual eyes to see, spiritual ears to hear, and give them spiritual life so they can repent and believe in the gospel and trust in you, Jesus, as Lord. Father, I pray for those right now that do this for the first time. I pray they will have the courage to tell somebody today. So, Father God, I thank you for this Lord's Day. I thank you for this Easter Sunday, Lord. Jesus, you're alive. You're alive. And because of that, we live. And we're going to resurrect with you someday. So thank you, Lord. 
We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.